question is, when has God given us courage in our lives? Um, I, I would first of all say that all the courage I have is, is from God. But I also feel one specific time for sure is um, at my dad's funeral. I was able to get up and speak about him and do a talk about him. And to this day, I can't believe I did it. So I know for sure that's God working in me and God giving me the courage to do something like that. Well, good morning. I hope to share more stories of how God has given you courage. If you have a story to tell, minute or less or a little bit more, uh, share it with me and we'll, we'll share it with the rest of the congregation. I'd love for that to happen more uh, as we continue in this series called Courageous. Talking about having courage, I, uh, I got something in the mail this past week that caused me to think through how courageous I am as my life continues to roll on. Uh, it was another invitation to join AARP. You know, the American Association of Retired Persons. What? <laughs> I, I, I'm not that old, am I? I mean, I can't even think about retiring. Come on. You know, uh, you think about it. If I'm at that stage in life, you know what this means. Well, I'm just, you know, one foot away from the grave. Uh, I, uh, I'm at that stage in life where you start to think, am I going to be put out to pasture, you know? Um, uh, guys my age, when we're at this stage in life, a lot of guys my age, they, they can go through what we like to call a midlife crisis. You know, it's where we start wondering about our identity. We start wondering about, uh, you know, all this climbing the corporate ladder and wondering, was the ladder leaning up against the wrong building, you know? Did I make the right choices in my life? I mean, now there's no turning back. Now there's no, you know, career changes because if you make a career change, who's going to hire you at this old age, you know? Yeah, people my age, they, they tend to start to think about, you know, uh, do I have enough money saved up for what's coming in the future? Um, what about my medical insurance? How much higher is that going to go, and will I be able to afford it? Uh, guys my age, we, we kind of just wonder, you know, what if something major happens? Will I be able to, to handle it? But, you know, when it comes to worrying about life, it's not just guys my age. It's, it's really everybody at, at different stages of life. There's a lot about life that we can get worried about. There's a lot about life that we can get a bit anxious about. I mean, let's face it, life's not always easy. <laughs> but we're in this series entitled Courageous, and uh, we've been looking at how the nation of Israel was entering into the promised land, the land that God had promised to them. And we're walking through the first 11 chapters of the book of Joshua. The last time we looked at the book, Joshua and the nation of Israel had just entered into the promised land. And yet, being in the promised land, there was a lot ahead that they were not aware of. There was a lot that they were uncertain of. There's, there's danger that lied ahead. And they weren't quite sure how they were going to settle in this new land. Today, we come to Joshua chapter 4. And in Joshua chapter 4, we will see how God helped the nation of Israel gain courage for this new chapter in their life. Gain courage for what lied 
what lay in the future. And I hope that no matter what we're facing in our lives, no matter what you're facing, no matter what I'm facing, that we can look at this part of their journey and gain courage for our journey that we are on. No matter what we're facing, God wants to give you and me courage, the courage that we need. And I believe that when we dive into John, uh, Joshua chapter 4, we'll learn how to establish this courage no matter what we're facing. And so it starts this morning with this. We must remember God's good works. When we think about what's coming in the future, what's you know right around the corner in our lives, and we're uncertain about it, the way that we gain courage about it is to look back, to look behind and go, well, well, look at what God has been doing up till this point. And so because we can look back, it can help us to have courage for the future. If you have your Bibles handy, you can go to Joshua chapter 4, uh, toward the beginning of the Old Testament, the beginning of your Bibles. If, if you don't have a Bible handy, that's fine. I'll, I'll have the scriptures up here on the screen for you. In Joshua chapter 4, beginning at verse 1, it says this. Now, when all the nations had finished crossing the Jordan, the Lord spoke to Joshua, saying, Take for yourselves twelve men from the people, one from each tribe. Now, let me just quickly highlight for us that the nation of Israel uh, consisted of twelve tribes that came under the umbrella of the Israelites. And so, this is what the Lord told Joshua to say. Command them, saying, Take up for yourself twelve stones from here, out of the middle of the Jordan, from the place where the priest's feet are standing firm, and carry them over with you, and lay them down in the lodging place where you will lodge tonight. So, in Joshua chapter 3, the nation of Israel walked through the dry riverbed of the Jordan River to enter into the promised land. They went from the east to the west. And so what Joshua was told to tell these 12 guys is to take 12 stones out from the center of the Jordan River and bring them over to the west side of the Jordan River and set them up where they're lodging. So if you jump down to verse 8, it says this, Thus the sons of Israel did as Joshua commanded and took up 12 stones from the middle of the Jordan, just as the Lord spoke to Joshua according to the number of the tribes of the sons of Israel. And they carried them over with them to the lodging place and put them down there. Now, Something interesting that Joshua does now. So the 12 guys, they grab these 12 big stones, and they bring them over to the west side of the river. And then look what Joshua does in verse 9. Then Joshua set up 12 stones in the middle of the Jordan at the place where the feet of the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant were standing. And they are there to this day. To this day means they're there when Joshua was done writing the book of Joshua, which was about 20 years later. Those rocks were still there 20 years later after they had made their way throughout the promised land. It's kind of peculiar, don't you think? Like take 12, 12 stones and go to the west side of the river and set them up there where we're going to lodge. And then Joshua, while they're doing that, he takes another 12 stones and he goes to where the priests were standing in the river and sets up another pile of 12 stones by them. Now, a lot of people have speculated, you can read commentaries as to why would Joshua set up another second pile? Especially it's in the river. I mean, you know, when the water comes down, it's just going to cover up that pile. I mean, why even bother building another pile of rocks here representing the 12 tribes of Israel? Well, I, I believe actually that this second pile of rocks wasn't in the water where when the waters came back, it would actually bury the pile. 
I actually believe that this pile that Joshua set up would be on the east side of the river. Let me explain myself here. Uh, if you go back to Joshua chapter 3 and verse 14, it says this. So when the people set out from their tents to cross the Jordan with the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant before the people, and when those who carried the Ark came into the Jordan, and now get this, and the feet of the priests carrying the Ark were dipped in the edge of the water, that's important, for the Jordan overflows all its banks all the days of the harvest. So now the, the Jordan River at this time was flooding the whole area, and they just had to put their feet in on the edge of that water, and then the waters were backed up. Look at verse 16. The waters which were flowing down from above stood and rose up in one heap. So the priests, they're carrying the Ark of the Covenant, and they come on the east side of the river, and they step, just barely step in. They barely get their feet wet, and God stops up the water. He stops up the water all the way to the north. Way far north, if you read the rest of verse 16 of chapter 3. The, the, the priests didn't have to like go into the very center of the river. They just were on the edge of the river and all the water stopped up. And so as the, as the Israelite guys from each of the 12 tribes were setting up the pillar uh, of stones on the west side of the river, Joshua literally is setting up pile, a pile on the east side of the river. I think I know why. I think the reason why he did this and why they had these two pillars of stones, these two piles of 12 rocks each, was to always show that God has brought us from there to here. This is where God brought us from there to here. This is how we see God's faithfulness and how he was so good to us, his good works, or he stops up the water so that we could cross the river from there where the pillar, where the rocks are on the far side of the river to right here on the west side. This marks the spot where we crossed the Jordan River. That we saw God's power at work. How about us? Can we recall a time when God has brought us from there to here? Can we recall a time when we saw that God was, was so good to us and He did so many great things that, that He brought us from there to here? Like, for instance, remembering the peace that God gave you when there was a death of a family member. Like Marilyn shared in her testimony there at the beginning, that God carried her in that moment when her father died. Remember how God used people to say just the right thing at the right time when you needed them to say it. It was a comfort to you. Remember how God provided for you at just the right amount that you needed to, to you know, to, to do the schooling that, that you wanted and you felt like he wanted you to do. R remember the time when, when God brought you through that rough patch in life. Remember how he brought us from, from there to here. When we can look back over our shoulder, we can say, I know I'm facing something that I'm not quite sure where that's going to head. I'm not quite sure what's ahead. But I can tell you this. I know that God brought me from over here to over here. I, I can't explain it, but I know God was at work in my life. And when we look back at his good works, it says, oh, you know, that's going to give me courage now to go from here to there. And I, I think like the Israelites, I would suggest this, that we set up memorials. <laughs> set up memorials for how God has worked in our lives. Like, um, I mean, maybe not a pile of stones, you know, like, like they did, but, but things to remind us of how God has cared for us in the past. Um, 
A lot of you know my story. Back when I was uh, a bachelor, at the age of 20, I gave my life to Jesus, and I was following after him. And yet, you know what? I entered into a really lonely stage of life. When I surrendered to Jesus, um, all my friends were not followers of Jesus, so, so, you know, I wasn't really interested in the things they were interested in anymore, and nor were they in things that I was now interested in. And at that stage of my life, my, my parents were going through a rough patch, and so I, I didn't really have a close relationship with my parents at the time. I wasn't really close to my siblings at the time. I was really, really lonely. And yet, I started going to a college-age Bible study. And uh, I started meeting new friends, and I, I was finding myself going, you know what, I'm, I'm kind of enjoying life again. It's kind of a joy. There's, there's things in my life that I'm thankful to the Lord for. And then at that college Bible study, I, I met this beautiful young lady. And uh, her name was Jill. And, and I, I found myself going, Lord, this is, this is really nice. I mean, I'm grateful. God, thank you. And I'm reading my Bible, and I come across a passage in the book of James. James chapter 1 and verse 17. And it just hit me like, this is what God is doing to me and for me in my life right now. And I felt so moved by it that I did some, a calligraphy, and I gave it to Jill. We were just dating at the time. I gave it to her as a gift. This is actually the gift that I gave Jill back when we were dating. Uh, James 1.17, I have a photograph of this here up there. It says, every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Uh, you realize uh, this is still in a frame, and actually this is still hanging up in our house. This is hanging up in our bedroom, actually. It's on the wall right by where... Um, you walk into the bathroom, out of the, out of the bedroom. So every time I go into the bathroom, uh, there it is hanging up on the wall just off to the right. And not that I read it every single time I go in, but it's always there. And when I see it, when it happens to catch my eye, I remember. I remember how I was lonely. I remember how I felt like, you know, there, you know, like what's this whole thing about following Jesus? It isn't all that cracked up to me. And yet then he started bringing good things into my life, and how he started bringing good and perfect gifts into my life, and, and, and how God brought me from, from there to here, and that every good and perfect gift in my life is from him. This is a memorial. This is to remind me of the goodness and the good works of God. How about you? What ways do we set up memorials to remember the hand of God in our lives? For some of us, we might flip through old picture albums and walk down memory lane a little bit, or maybe, you know, digital pictures at this stage in the world. And you just look back and you think, oh, look at that. Oh, look at that. Yeah, I remember. I remember that. I remember God doing this or God doing that. I might suggest keeping a journal. I'm not a, a big journal keeper, but I do write down. When I see God doing something amazing, I'll write it down in, in my journal. Actually, I'll, I'll write it down this way in my journal. And, and then um, when I really need the Lord, when I'm, when I'm heavy hearted, I'll, I'll journal too and I'll, I'll write down my prayers to the Lord. I think it's a good practice because then I can go back years and think, huh, God really showed up there. 
God really brought me through that valley. God, I saw that God was working there even though I was really struggling. I, I can look back and see how He cared for me in His good works. I might suggest that you have a calendar, like a, a date book, and, and when just jot it down. You, you saw God do something amazing. Just, just write it in that calendar and, and save, save those calendars so you can look back and see a memorial of how God was at work. Um, there's a lot of different ways to do it, but some kind of a memento or mementos that we can have to reflect about how we've moved along in life. And not just how we've moved along, but how God has brought us on this journey. Now, how we make sure that we see God's good works and not just sort of moving along in life, I think it would be good for us to learn from the Israelites how they did it. Now, I didn't put it in your outline, but I just want to run through three quick things that the Israelites did in order to um, ensure that they would see the hand of God, that they would make sure that they see how God has been carrying them from there to here. The first thing is this, that we need to keep God ever before us. Keep Him ever before us. Now, we can go through uh, life and, you know, God does some great stuff and we just kind of keep moving on instead of going, well, you know, thank you, God. I want to always keep you ever before me. This is what the Israelites did. Look at Joshua chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, For the priests who carried the ark were standing in the middle of the Jordan until everything was completed that the Lord had commanded Joshua to speak to the people according to all that Moses had commanded Joshua. And the people hurried and crossed. They crossed the Jordan River, the dry riverbed. And when all the people had finished crossing, the ark of the Lord, and this is important, the ark of the Lord and the priests crossed before the people. They could have went through that river and just kind of kept on going, but they all stopped. And then the priests took the Ark of the Covenant and they brought the Ark of the Covenant before the people. Now, the Ark of the Covenant represented the presence of God among His people. And so when the Ark of the Covenant walked before the people, was brought before the people, it was like God was before the people. That, that they weren't going to move ahead until God was in the lead. How about us? Do we keep God ever before us? Do we make sure that he's number one in our lives, no matter what's going on? Do we always remember him, always pray to him, always give thanks to him? Are we people who are making sure that we always remember his good works? Always seeing how he's brought us from there to here. To see God's good works. Secondly, we must obey God. Not only keep them before us, God, I want you to be in the forefront of my life, but I am going to follow you wholeheartedly. I'm going to do what you want me to do. Look at verse 12. The sons of Reuben and the sons of Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over in, the battle, in battle array before the sons of Israel, just as Moses had spoken to them. About 40,000 equipped for war crossed for battle before the Lord to the desert plains of Jericho. This is pretty cool, I think. Um, Actually, uh, those two and a half tribes, they came up in chapter one of Joshua, so I won't go into the details of that, but these two and a half tribes, Reuben, Gad, and the half tribe of Manasseh, made an agreement, I believe it's in Numbers 32, with Moses that, listen, we want this chunk of land, but, but Moses said, you can have it if you make sure that you lead the battle into the promised land. So this was a deal they made before God through Moses that they would make sure that they're going to defend the nation of Israel when they enter into the promised land, and that's exactly what they did. 
These 40,000 soldiers obeyed God. We want to see God's good work. We've got to obey Him. Matter of fact, Jesus said in John chapter 14, two different times, He said, if you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my word. And then here's His promise. He says, and I and my Father will make our abode with you, which means we'll make our home with you, which means that if you obey me, if you follow me wholeheartedly, then you're going to see me actively working in your life. You're going to see the Father and I doing some amazing things in you and through you. You are going to see our good works in your life. So if we want to see it, got to obey Him. The third thing that the Israelites did that I think would be good for us is that we need to seek godly guidance in life. God appointed Joshua to give guidance to the nation of Israel and more specifically to give guidance to the priests in this chapter. Look at verse 14. On that day, the Lord exalted Joshua in the sight of all Israel so that they revered him just as they had revered Moses all the days of his life. Now the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priests to carry the ark of the testimony that, that they uh, command the priests who carry the ark of the testimony that they can't come up from the Jordan. So Joshua commanded the priests, saying, "Come up from the Jordan." And that's exactly what they did. You see, Joshua gave them guidance. Joshua gave them leadership, and they followed his leadership. They revered him as the one that God had put in their path in order to lead them. So a good question for you and me is, who's in my life that I allow to give guidance to me? Who's in your life that you allow to give godly guidance to you? Who are we listening to? Who are we allowing to lead us? And in their leadership, how can we make sure that it's godly leadership? You see, God wants to bring us from there to here. And he puts people in our lives to help guide us from there to here. We want to see his good works. We must seek godly guidance. Well, if we're going to gain courage, not only do we have to remember God's good works, but secondly, we have to remember God's salvation. Always keep before us Jesus and the salvation that's found in him alone. Look at Joshua 4.18. came about when the priests who carried the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord had come up from the middle of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up to the dry ground that the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and went over all its banks as before. Again, this is the spring of the year. The waters are so full that they, they flood over uh, the banks of the river. And look at verse 19. Now the people came up from the Jordan on the 10th of the first month and camped at Gilgal on the eastern edge of Jericho. Now here's something interesting. When you see a specific date given in the Bible, you want to kind of dig in and say, why is that date so significant? I mean, why would they specifically say the 10th of the first month is when they came up out of the Jordan River? Well, there is a very important reason why that date is mentioned. The 10th of the first month is the beginning of the celebration of Passover, actually. Passover. The 10th of the first month was when the Israelites, when they were enslaved in Egypt, that they were going to take a sacrificial lamb, a little lamb, and sacrifice it. And then they'd put the blood of the lamb on the lintel, which is the 
atop of the door and on the two doorposts on the side. And the judgment was God would come and judge Egypt. And every firstborn throughout Egypt, whether it was a person or an animal, would all die that one night. But if, if God saw the blood of the lamb on the, on the top and the sides of the door, he would pass over that house. He wouldn't bring that judgment upon that house. You can read about it in Exodus 12 if you want. But the idea is the first day of the 10th month, this is the beginning of Passover. They came up out of the water in the beginning of Passover. They're to remember the Passover. We'll talk about this next week when we dive into chapter 5. But it's so significant that we always remember the blood of the Lamb. Jesus died on that cross, shed his blood on, on the cross beam, on the beam down this way, so that God would not look to us and our sin, but he would look at the blood of, of the Lamb of God. He'd look at the blood of Jesus, and he would pass over his judgment against our sin. So significant that we remember the blood of the Lamb, that we remember Jesus who was slain for you and me. He's the one that took our penalty. The judgment that was supposed to be laid on us was laid on Him. And when we are secure in knowing that Jesus died for us, it'll give us confidence. It'll give us courage to face whatever we have coming. You know what? Jesus is my Savior. In the end, I win anyway, right? You win anyway. And so we can be confident in that. To be courageous, to live a life of courage. Thirdly, we must remember God's faithfulness. Remember his faithfulness. It wasn't just this one event about, you know, going through the Jordan River. I mean, they could look back and think, man, God was so faithful in so many ways. I mean, they can go all the way back to that Passover, like I just mentioned. And then, and then when they're coming out of Egypt, you might remember the nation of Israel is, is right there at the Red Sea. They're not sure what to do. And God parts the Red Sea, and they can actually walk on dry ground through the Red Sea. And then the waters crash over the Egyptians as they chase after them. They can remember that. They can remember as for the last 40 years they were wandering in the wilderness, God was leading them along, but he was giving them manna during the day, gave them everything they needed to, to survive. Even the soles of their sandals would not wear out as they were wandering around. I mean, God was there. He was faithful to them. Now look at what it says in Joshua 4 and verse 20. Those 12 stones which had been taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. Before we go on, Gilgal. What, what's Gilgal all about? Uh, let me uh, show you a map here. And uh, they were camping on the, uh, on the east side of the Jordan over here in Shittim. This is about a 10-mile trek down to the river. And then uh, Gilgal on this map is right here. The reality of Gilgal is it's not a city. It's not a town. It was just the gathering place where they lodged. We really, no archaeologist actually knows where they lodged on the uh, west side of the Jordan River, somewhere between the Jordan River and Jericho that they all camped. They're talking over a million Israelites there that they camped uh, somewhere over there. Gilgal is somewhere on the, on the uh, west side of the Jordan River. But anyway, back to our text. Um, those 12 stones which they had taken from the Jordan, Joshua set up at Gilgal. He said to the sons of Israel, when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, what are these stones? Then you shall inform your children, saying, Israel crosses Jordan on dry ground. 
For the Lord your God dried up the waters of the Jordan before you until you had crossed, just as the Lord your God had done to the Red Sea, which he dried up before us until we had crossed. God has been faithful. He's been faithful. He dried up the Red Sea. By the Red, the Red Sea, even if we're, they're just talking to their children here, we're looking at um, the grandparents who crossed the Red Sea. It's like generation after generation, when your kids ask about these stones here, you can tell them that God was faithful. God was carrying the people that had gone before us, and he'll carry you as well. How about us? You know, uh, a little while ago, just a few months ago, my parents gave me a gift. Uh, This is the gift that they gave me. This is actually a family Bible. A family Bible that goes back to my great, great, great grandma and grandpa. John and Jane Thompson. John Thompson was born in 1798. And this was their Bible, their family Bible, John and Jane's. And what's so cool about it, and it's super delicate, but in the middle of it, um, between the Old and the New Testament, there's actually this page. And I have a photograph of it up here. It's the family records. And then on the right-hand side, you'll see one of the words there says obituaries. This is the obituaries from the 1800s of John and Jane Thompson. And actually, a couple of them are from a couple of their children. And uh, in this, uh, this middle one right here is the one that I want to highlight for you. Uh, You'll notice that I don't have any highlights on it. I took a photograph of it, and then I just highlighted some of the things that was said about my great, 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 grandparents. Let me read this to you. It says this, Thompson, May 11th, 1883. Mr. Thompson, a ruling elder of the United Presbyterian Congregation of Bethel Mercer County, PA, in the 85th year of his age. So he died when he was 85. And then his wife, three months later, passed away, August 5th, 1883. Mrs. Jane Thompson, his widow, in the 81st year of her age, and for many years, a faithful member of the same congregation. Now, if you jump down to my next highlight, when 18 years of age, he made a profession of religion. They moved over here from Ireland, actually. And he made a profession of religion in connection with the Associate Reformed Congregation of Mercer, Mercer County, PA. So at 18 years of age, he professed to know Jesus as his Savior. That's when he was saved. And then if you jump down a little bit, for over 60 years, this husband and wife journeyed along the highway of life together, sharing the joys and sorrows of it. Their home was a pleasant Christian home. To spend a night in that home could not fail to impress the visitor that it was a Bethel where the Lord delighted to dwell. By the way, a Bethel means a sacred place. That their home was known as a sacred place. These Christian people never seemed happier than when entertaining the servants of Christ. For 60 years, their house was free to every minister of the gospel who would turn and tarry with them. Often they would entertain, free of charge, for weeks at a time, those supplying vacant congregations in the neighborhood. Mr. Thompson was an elder in the church for over 40 years. As a ruler, he was wise and faithful. The purity and prosperity of the church ever lay near to his heart. Jump down a little bit. He was an honest man, a good citizen, a faithful husband, and an affectionate father. And then a little comment about both of their funerals. The unusual large attendance at their funerals testified of the esteem in which they were held 
to the community. You know, I read that and I'm thinking, wow, that's my great, great, great grandpa. You know what he was? He was a guy who knew the good works of God in his life. He, he was a guy who, who uh, you know, was, was faithful. He, 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 he had courage to, to, to live for the Lord in his generation. He carried the torch of Christianity back in the 1800s. And that inspires me when I read that. You know what? It's my turn now in this generation to carry the torch of Christianity, to have courage to stand up for the Lord in our generation, to, to know that God has been good in my generation too. And, and, and he's, his salvation is found in Jesus alone, and he has been faithful to me. And it spurs me on to have courage to carry that tor- torch brightly. Oh, how about your background? How about your heritage? You have people who have gone before you, who have lived for Jesus. I think that's what, what we need to do. We need to find courage in our heritage. It's true. When we remember about the good works of the Lord, how he brought us from there to here, it'll give us courage. But there's something more, something beyond that, that God wants to do with this courage that we're going to gain. He wants us to remember his good works, his salvation, his faithfulness. He wants us to have this courage for, I believe, two reasons Joshua lays out. The first one is this, to testify to the world. That we might tell the world of how God brought us from there to here. As they looked at those memorial stones on the on the east side of the Jordan and on the west side of the Jordan, and they were telling their kids about how God had been faithful and how he had worked in mighty ways in in them. Here's why they were to do that, verse 24. So that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. This has got to be the easiest way for you and for me to tell people about Jesus, to tell people about the Lord. Just talk about how he has shown up in our lives. Talk about how he has made a difference in our lives. Talk about how we have seen his good works in our lives. Talk about those journal entries from years ago that you say, yeah, God, see, he was there. He's brought me from there to here. When we testify of his faithfulness, we give God the credit, the credit that he deserves to the world around us. The courage we gain is not ultimately just for us. The courage we gain is so that we tell others. So that we go and tell the world. So that we go and tell our kids. We go and tell our coworkers. We go and tell our neighbors. We go and tell our friends. We tell them how God brought us from there to here. And the second reason that I think we talk about the Lord and is so that we strengthen one another. We strengthen each other. Now, throughout the whole New Testament we'll see that over and over again, we're called to encourage one another. We're called to spur each other on. We're called to, to, to strengthen each other in our faith. Matter of fact, when Peter uh, was, uh, Jesus was talking to Peter, and he basically told Peter, listen, you're going to turn your back on me. Peter's like, I'm not going to turn my back on you. No, you're going to. But then he says this in Luke 22. I think it's Luke 22, 32, if I'm not mistaken. He says this, or 32, yeah, 22, 32. He says, uh, when you turn back, Strengthen the brethren. When you turn back, strengthen the brethren. The Apostle Paul, 
in Acts 14, Acts 15, and Acts 16, it says that he went around to strengthen the church, that we're called to strengthen one another, to encourage one another, to help each other, to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. Look at how Joshua's closing words to the nation of Israel were not just to go and tell everybody of the mighty works of God, but also to encourage each other. To encourage each other by the fact that God has brought us from there, on the east side of the Jordan, all the way over to here on the west side of the Jordan, and now into the promised land. Again, verse 24, that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty, and then listen to this, so that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Wait, now, do you realize this? That you and I are a part of that last word of that last, of that last verse? I mean, we're generations removed, obviously, from the nation of Israel going into the promised land here. But we haven't exhausted forever yet. We're a part of the forever for our day and age. We are to encourage each other. We're to declare the good works of the Lord. We're to, we're, we're to talk about the salvation found in Jesus alone. We're to reflect on the faithfulness of our God in order to spur each other on to fear Him. To hold Him in high respect. To revere God with our lives. To make sure that He is the Lord of our lives. So how you doing? How are we doing? If we had to rank our courage level, what would we give ourselves? What are you facing in your life today? What's causing anxiety, worry, stress? Maybe you're involved in a business adventure and you're not quite sure how it's going to go. Or maybe you've felt something wrong physically and you've got a doctor's appointment coming up and you're not quite sure, you know, what to expect. It's causing you a little bit of worry. Maybe you've got a son or a daughter that you're wrestling with. How exactly do I help my child? A little concerned about the direction they're headed. (laughs) Whatever the case may be, turn to the Lord. Remember how we brought Israel from the east side of the Jordan River to the west side of the Jordan River. Remember how he he brought them from there to here. And then reflect on how God has brought you from there to here. And maybe like the nation of Israel, maybe as we reflect on this, that we can face whatever is coming our way Maybe we can remember his faithfulness and, and God's, God's good works in our life so that we know that even though God has, has brought us from there to here, we know that because of who he is and what he's done, not only has he brought us from there to here, but I can be confident that he's going to bring me from here to there, wherever he wants to take me. And when we can rest in that, We can live life with courage. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, God, that you don't leave us alone, but you're with us. That you want to work mightily in our lives. That you want to steer us. That you want to mold us. Thank you, God, that You care so much for us like you cared for the nation of Israel. 
Thank you for the story that you've already developed in our lives. How you have brought us from there to here. God, thank you for being so good to us where we can trust you. Trust you to bring us from here to there. Wherever there may be. Wherever you want to bring us, God. Help us to humbly submit to you that we might follow you. That we might go where you lead us. And we'll give you all the praise and the glory. We pray this, Jesus, in your precious name. Amen.